family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Well, church, if you have not received one of those, um, one of those pledge cards, those uh, should be, have been mailed to your home. If you are new here and uh, you don't call this your church home, um, pledge cards are not for you. Um, those are for people who have called this their church home and, and are, have made a covenant a commitment to walk alongside this church um, in their prayers, their presence, their gift, their service, and their witness. And so I just want, to, want that to be known. Um, I want to invite Sam to the stage. Um, I am not preaching this week. Um, Sam is preaching, and so uh, as, a, as a body of Christ, as we lean into what it means for us to be a community of faith, uh, we are looking at what does it look like for you to use your gifts as the body of Christ here on Sunday morning. Uh, so that's kind of why we do the prayer thing, right? Is because you have an opportunity to use your gifts in that space to minister to someone around you. Um, Sam has been uh, recognized... Um, He's stepped up into leadership in a couple different areas in the church through our board of stewards, through our, um, our young adult ministry, Harvest, uh, even in the student ministry, has, has taught a few times. And so uh, we're giving Sam an opportunity to, to express his faith um, and share his testimony this morning. So we're excited about that. And I, I look forward to hearing your testimonies up here too as well. Um, so let me pray over Sam and then we'll, and then we'll release. Uh, God, we, uh, we give thanks for, uh, for Sam and for the ways in which uh, you are leaning into him and, and stretching him and using his gifts. Uh, and so God, I pray that you bless this step of, of faith and bless this step of discipleship. May, it be, um, may your words be uh, spoken through him uh, and into our hearts. Uh, we love you and give thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. So K through second grade, you were dismissed Nailed to it. the back for Children's Church. They had lots of help, so I did not forget, as is customary. <laughs> so, hi, good morning, everyone. I am Sam Scheifler, Scheffler, Schuffler, Shuffler, basically anything you can think of. Uh, the name is German, but I, unfortunately, am very American, so I say it Scheifler. If you want to try the German pronunciation, by all means, you'll probably get it better than I will. Uh, Clint shared with you a little bit of my CV, my resume, but I want to give more of a personal introduction to many of you who may not know me, maybe I'm a familiar face, maybe I'm not. Um, I am the youngest of three sons, and I work downtown in the medical center as an engineer. And you may have heard this story before, but I chose to be an engineer because my dad was an engineer, my oldest brother was an engineer, my middle brother was an engineer, and since my motto growing up was always, anything you can do, I can do better, my path in life was set from a very young age. Now, when I call myself an engineer, I don't typically refer to my career so much as to a certain personality. You might be an INTJ or a nine-wing three. I am an engineer. And what I would mean by that, the picture that I have in my brain is of Mr. Spock from Star Trek. 
cold, hard logic. There is no room for feeling here. But if you are actually a fan of Star Trek, you will know that there's a problem with this picture. Because Mr. Spock is half human. And he does have emotions. He just doesn't like to admit it. He doesn't know what to do with them, so he tries to suppress them. And so with that as my role model, I tried to do the same thing, and spoiler alert, it doesn't work. It leads to lots of problems, because God made us the way we are for a good reason. We have emotions for a purpose. And I did not understand that. I cheated myself out of that understanding. So I knew I needed to do something about this, but being raised a good little Christian boy, I knew that I needed to go to the Bible to fix this. And where else do you go but to the book of Psalms? After all, we all read the book of Psalms as this place of deep emotion. It's where mankind pours out their hearts before God with the heights of joy or the depths of grief. It's where we go when we don't know what to do with these feelings inside of us. Now, I'm still an engineer, and so I started in the only logical place, the beginning. So I'd like to read for us today Psalm 1. And here's what it says. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That did not feel particularly oozing with emotion to me when I first read it, right? That reads a little more dry and factual. In fact, Psalm 1, along with Psalm 2, are really wisdom literature. They are telling us how to lead a blessed life. And I can get behind that. Wisdom is brainy stuff, right? I, I can operate in that space. And I don't know about you, but I would like to be blessed. It's part of why I sneeze so loud. But it begs the question, how do I do that? And this psalm tells me I need to delight in the law. But delight's an emotion. And the one thing I know about emotions is you can't just turn them on and off. I'd like to, but I can't just choose to delight in something. I have been trying to like tea for months now, and it still just tastes like grass to me, right? So if we can't choose to just change the way we feel about something, how do we get to feel Delight. Well, delight's an emotion. So as much as I'd like to open up Merriam-Webster and just give you a hard and fast definition, I think it's better to give you all a picture. So I would like to introduce all of you to my sweet dog, Hylia. She's a very good girl, very active girl. And what I want to show you is her first experience with snow. And I want you to see the emotion she's exhibiting. Now, when we first got Hylia, we had no idea what breed she was because, I mean, she was a foster, she was a rescue. But we knew there was probably some lab in her, 
and there was all bounce. We called her a bounceador. She was, you know, part lab, 100% bounce. And you can see that in this video, that what she's experiencing fills her with this excitement that it has to go somewhere, right? You can't contain the light. It overflows and she goes bouncing around the yard. The same thing happens when you give her a rawhide. She's just so excited, she can't even sit still to chew the rawhide. She has to bounce around the room a little bit to get the energy out so she can sit down and get to business. That, to me, is what delight looks like. It's this overflowing joy, it's this energy. See, delight is an emotion that arrives, that comes from the experiencing of something good. When we experience something good, delight is that natural response. But we're talking about the law here. How do I delight in the law? How do I experience something good from the law? And I think the answer, in short, is that we need to come to experience God through his law. But again, what does that look like? As much as I, the engineer, would love to share with you a formula, a series of steps that you can follow to get the same results every single time, I don't think it really works that way. So again, I want to give you a picture and this time, the picture is going to be of me for all the good and ill that that contains. To do this, we need to go back maybe seven or eight years, back when I was a senior in high school, starting my college career. See, I had been raised as a Christian, but I was not living as one. I had always really struggled with idolizing romantic relationships. And in that time, I was dating someone that I really should not have been. They were not a Christian, and neither of us were good influences on the other. And this led me to make some very poor choices in my life, which I regret deeply, such as lying to my parents' faces for nine months straight about what was going on. I poured my self-value and my self-worth into what this other person thought of me. Because as an engineer, the one thing I knew was that value is derived from what someone else is willing to pay. And so when she metaphorically dropped me off at Goodwill and broke up with me, I felt the opposite of delight. For months, I struggled to just wake up and do the bare minimum. But God loved me too much to just leave me there. So he sent me a friend to talk to. Now, both of us were broken people, but maybe that's what made it possible for me to really be vulnerable with where I was. Up till this point, I had spent months hiding my shame, hiding from the people that I had lied to. But being able to be vulnerable with this person brought me to a new place. I was able to admit that my problem was not that someone did not want me. My problem was sin, and the answer was God, that I needed to go to God to repair that relationship or to let him repair it. And I knew that I needed to go to God through prayer, but again, how? What does prayer look like? And being the good little Christian boy that I was, I knew I needed to go to the Bible, and I knew I needed to go to the book of Psalms. This time, I turned to Psalm 51, and as I read these words, they hit me like a truck, because written, they are the words of David. But in that moment, these were my words. And this is what I said. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. 
According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Moving on, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, as I read these words, I felt like they were reading me. It was like having a friend who knew me so well they couldn't just finish my sentences, they could start them. And this was jarring for me because for so long I had chased a relationship not just to be valued, but to be intimate with someone, to know and be known deeply, to be able to bear my soul and not be rejected for it. When I dated that girl, I had to forget who I really was in Christ, but just by turning back to God, not even changing anything about what I was doing, I had that intimacy I had been searching for all along. And so when I read these words, I felt like a weight was lifted off of me, that I didn't have to hide anymore. And in that relief and in that freedom, I broke down and cried. But this experience should not have been a surprise for me, because this is what the Word of God does. If we turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, The Word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. As much as I was reading Scripture, Scripture was reading me. You see, I can delight in the law because it's the medium, it's the way that I come to know God and know that God knows me. I want to acknowledge something here. You see, Psalm 51 was written by David after he had slept with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, her husband. Part of what he's begging for forgiveness over is the sin of bloodshed. But what I did was a lie. And I fear sometimes we do not take deception as seriously as we take murder. But I think we ought to. Because deception kills intimacy. You cannot know me unless I let you know who I am. Deception is little more than a means of controlling others, of trying to control what you think of me. So for months, I hid not wanting others to see me. And the more I hid, the more my shame grew. But that same law that showed me my need for forgiveness also told me where I could find it. If we turn to Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5, David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And again, in Proverbs 28, 13, we read, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. God's word also tells us that we're to go to the people we sin against. 
And though I confessed before God, I confessed before a friend, I hadn't gone to my parents who I had wronged, who I had lied to. So I know that that was the next step that I needed to take. I went to my parents and I told them the truth. And for all the fear that I had going into that conversation, it was so simple, it was so easy. They forgave me so quickly, not because my sin was not serious, not because I hadn't harmed our relationship, but because my parents believed in a practical gospel. They believed that my sin had been paid and that change was possible through Christ. And in that moment, being the cold Vulcan engineer that I was, I cried. And as much as we cried together, we also laughed, not just because my dad's funny, but because there is joy in restoration. See, it was this moment that helped me truly understand the gospel. As an engineer, I know that my value is derived from what someone else is willing to pay. And Christ paid it all for me. I can delight in the law because it teaches grace, it shows me grace, and it leads to restored relationship. But this was really only the start of my journey. My shame was gone, my relationships were restored, but I was still messed up, I was still twisted. The same desires that led me to chase the wrong things were still present inside of me. And I know I needed healing. I was in the wrestling team in high school, and one of the things you learn in wrestling is that your worth and strength is based on your strength, what you can do to other people. To show weakness depletes your own value. The only way that I could overcome that fear, overcome that teaching I had grown up in, was because of the value that Christ placed on me. I can have confidence because of what he did for me. I can let go of trying to perform and prove my own value. So how do we get healed? James 5.16 tells us this. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. What I find so interesting about this verse is that confess is a present tense verb. And in the Greek, that means there's a continuing action. This is not a one-time deal. I need to confess again and again for new sins, sometimes for the old ones. But for me, the way this happened, the way this was carried out was with a small group of other guys, other people my age who struggled with the same sins that I did. And we all agreed to come together in confession in order to break our pride. Because in confession, I can no longer hide. I can no longer control what you think of me. And I have to let go of that. I also sought out discipleship. I hunted down a man of God that I could trust, who at that time, I didn't happen to know very well. I stepped out on a limb with him and said, would you mentor me? See into the dirty depths of my life. Love me the same and help me to do better next time. And through a long, hard road of sharing my sins and my struggles, of tripping, eating gravel, and standing up again, I have been healed in so many ways. I would not be standing here today without this experience. But if we know anything about Jesus and his story, if we know anything about healing, it's that healing 
brings joy. There's so many places we could turn to, but if we look at Luke chapter 5, verses 24 through 26, Jesus heals a paralyzed man, and it says, immediately the man stood up. He took the mat that he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. And everyone who witnessed this was amazed and gave praise to God. That when healing happens, it's not just the healed that feels delight. It is those around them who witness this transformation. The folks who loved the person who was healed can delight as well. See, I can delight in the law because it leads me and those around me into healing. This was how I came to delight in the law. Through God's correction, I came to obedience. And through obedience, I came to healing. This was a cycle. It was not a one-time deal. But correction and obedience aren't exactly fun words, are they? And Sam, haven't we been talking about delighting in the law? Law is restrictive, right? It inhibits our freedom. So I want to start by addressing a potential misunderstanding. If we go back to Psalm 1, when it says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the word it uses here for delight is a Hebrew word, Torah, which just means teaching and instruction. It can include a legal code, but the law of God is not a legal code. It is teaching. It is a way of life for us that leads to blessing. What's more is that we're not choosing between freedom and obedience. We're choosing whom we obey. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. He says that we are slaves to what we obey, whether that is our sinful selves or our God. But if we're slaves to righteousness, God makes us so much more. In Galatians 4, 7, he says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. And in Galatians 5.1, it says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. We serve a God who sets us free from our own sins and shames. So we have a choice before us, and we have to choose the light. But this choice is not always an obvious one between sin and drunkenness and violence and the light. It's sometimes a choice between the lights. So I'm going to use an example with permission. My friend Blake is a youth pastor here at this church, and he loves the Celtics. Don't ask me why, I'm not a sports guy. But you can tell that he delights in this team because of the time and the effort and the energy he spends on them. He watches the games, and when he can't watch them, he records them. He wears, and he pays money for shirts that are, frankly, garish, and wears them in public of all places to show that he cares about this. But if you know Blake, you'll also know that he's a very lucky man, fortunate, blessed, and he recently got married. And and I can say with a fair degree of confidence that he will be spending less time on the Celtics. (laughs) And this is not because he no longer delights in the Celtics, but because he has a new delight that is more worth his time and affection. This analogy of marriage really fits perfectly here. Because it is not just that I am coming to the light in God and in his law, it's that God delights in me. He delights in us. 
In Psalm 19:18, we read that God rescued me because he delighted in me. In Luke 15, 7, it's that there is much rejoicing in heaven over repentance. In Proverbs 3, 12, the Lord loves those he disciplines, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. The light is not one-sided. I can delight in God because he first delighted in me. But this reluctance to obedience is not the only obstacle we face. Fear, isolation, distraction, and misunderstanding all stand in our way. Fear and isolation kill intimacy. Distraction pulls us away. And misunderstanding twists our obedience to the point that we do not receive the blessings we're promised because we're not doing what we're told. So what do we do? What do we do about these things that stand in our way? Earlier I said I was going to show you my picture, my journey. But was it really mine alone? This started with God reaching out to me to send a friend, to send my family, a small group, a mentor, men and women who prayed for me every step of the way. The Christian life is not a one-man show. We are not meant to stand alone. It's because delight is contagious. I think that's why David in Psalm 34 verse 8 cries out, Taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants you to experience that same delight. So whatever we do about these obstacles, I think we do it together. If you're afraid of God or of his law, if you're afraid of misunderstanding it, or if you just want help getting that first taste of delight, then I want to invite you to our How to Read the Bible workshop on November 6th and 13th. Because we will be coming together as a community to learn and understand what the law is and what it says. To acknowledge and address the things that stand between us and approaching the law. And we'll do that together. Would you bow your heads to pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you are a God of delights. There are pleasures at your right hand forevermore. You are not one who wants to withhold good things from us, but you want to give us those good things. You want to give of yourself for our sakes. So Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts, that you would bring healing, that you would give us a taste of the light that you promised. God, help us to delight in your law. Teach us to listen and to obey. God, thank you for your son and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord...